This is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Support for the legislature today is provided by West Virginia University, building futures close to home at campuses in Morgantown, Kaiser, and Beckley. Information at wvu.edu. Embassy Suites by Hilton Charleston, an all-suite hotel and conference center minutes from Yeager Airport and Capital Market. Reservations and brasserie dining information available at hilton.com. Segra, providing fiber-based communication solutions. Segra, freedom to grow. More information at segra.com. Welcome back to the Legislature Today. I'm Bob Brunner. Thanks for joining us for tonight's coverage of the 2023 legislative session. Wednesday was Black Policy Day at the Legislature. As Chris Schulz reports, it was an opportunity for advocates to highlight the issues facing black West Virginians. Started just last year to focus on policy issues impacting black West Virginians, Black Policy Day returned to the Legislature Wednesday for its second year. Katanya Hart is one of the organizers of Black Policy Day. She said she wants the legislative process to be open so that all can participate. This year, Black Policy Day's focus has expanded to not only look at policy, but also to help community members learn about and engage with the process directly. It's that diversity when everyone's at the table having an opportunity to put in that we become strong, that there is a we and there's no longer that separation, that we're able to keep our identity while supporting and standing in solidarity with each other. Hart said the day's focus is broad, bringing attention and action to issues facing all West Virginians. She is tracking more than 200 bills this session. However, one bill, the Crown Act, is of particular interest, as indicated by the Crown's Hart and many other activists' war. Crown stands for creating a respectable and open world for natural hair and culturally relevant hairstyles. And so in my own words, is if I wake up in the morning and I wash my hair and I go to work and not straighten it and perm it, it's okay. Nobody's going to say that looks wild and unruly and unprofessional and send me home and try to have me press it like another culture's hair in order to file papers, to type a letter. What is the necessity of that? What is the reason for that? But so many people have found themselves in that situation, showing up for work and someone saying, your Afro, that your curly hair is, is just not professional. Several municipalities, including Morgantown, Charleston, and Beckley, have created their own ordinances to codify the Crown Act's protections locally but advocates have been waiting to see it become state law for four years. Hart listed issues of funding for education, the regulation of women's bodies, and legislation targeted at the LGBTQ community as other areas of focus. Kasha Snyder McDonald is the president of the West Virginia Black Pride Foundation. She echoed the importance of passing the Crown Act. People of color, we do have a distinct hair, a hair quality, something that, um, Caucasian people have no understanding of, and therefore it is no other body's place to tell a person of color what to do with their hair, um, how we wear our hair. Our hair is a sign of our glory. 
As an LGBTQ advocate, Snyder McDonald also had her eye on several bills aimed at banning drag shows in the state, which she said is often a crucial source of livelihood for people in the community. People are scared of what they do not understand or what they do not know. And when it comes to the drag community, they do not know that some people that do drag and the majority of people that do drag is because it is their livelihood. It is their way of employment. There are so many doors that are closed to the LGBTQ plus community, especially the LGBTQ community of color. And here in West Virginia, we don't have a lot of representation for the LGBTQ plus community, including within our own community. It's very hard for us to um, get people to understand our vision and to see that we're here and we're, we're just like everyone else. Um, each and every day is a struggle. We're fighting just to be seen and just to be heard. Snyder McDonald and Hart both expressed their excitement for the opportunity that Black Policy Day provides for Black West Virginians to organize and stand together for a better future. For the legislature today, I'm Chris Schultz. About 40,000 West Virginians live with some degree of Alzheimer's dementia. Some say recent legislation focused on how law enforcement interacts with those suffering from Alzheimer's, but it didn't go far enough. Randy Yoey reports on new bills meant to increase awareness. On Alzheimer's Awareness Day at the legislature, Program Director Teresa Morris notes that more than half of those with a brain disorder affecting memory and behavior will, at one time or another, wander. She said when Senate Bill 570 was signed into law last year, requiring all new law enforcement and correction officers to undergo specialized training in how to identify and communicate with those living with dementia, she said that training proved an eye-opener for new recruits. We talk about stories of people in the past that have had situations like this. They, I think it's something that our new officers don't always think about. They just, they, they, that's not what they're taught per se. You know, so currently we're doing that training at the State Academy for all the new officers. That law said that Alzheimer's awareness training would be voluntary for law enforcement and correction officers already on the force. The problem was there was minimal volunteerism. So currently proposed Senate Bill 208 mandates that all law enforcement officers, new and old, take that Alzheimer's awareness training. Morris says with stories of first responder confusion over intoxication versus dementia still coming to light, across the board training becomes a community help as well. We're just at the point where we have increased awareness of, of dementia and Alzheimer's. And, and someone that maybe has been in the force 5, 10, 20 years, they, they need this training. They need to know that what they could potentially be, be dealt with or what they, they could be working with. The training also includes understanding the risks associated with Alzheimer's, including elder abuse and exploitation. For the legislature today, I'm Randy Yoey. Rare earth elements and e-bikes highlighted two diverse bills passed by the House today. House Bill 3012 encourages economic development regarding rare earth elements by providing temporary severance tax relief. These elements, extracted from coal waste, are instrumental in creating technical industries and products often imported from China, such as cell phones, computer hard drives, flat screen TVs, there was some concern amongst lawmakers over waiving severance tax payments for nine years, but Delegate Elliot Pritt, a Democrat from Fayette County, says the good outweighs the bad. I, like my colleague from Wyoming, do have concerns about the number of years that there's going to be tax exemption 
but my hope in the end is that there will be enough jobs created in economic development that it will be a net benefit. Uh, and this also presents a great opportunity to clean up a lot of waste sites that have been sitting around in our communities for a long time. The bill passed 91 to 7 and was sent to the Senate for consideration. House Bill 2062 is thought to benefit tourism. The measure relates to modifying the regulation of electronic bicycles to more closely conform with federal law. It allows certain class e-bikes to be operated on public land to increase their usage and accessibility, but states that users of e-bikes will not be given special privileges otherwise given to similarly situated riders. The e-bike bill passed 89 to 7 and also now goes to the Senate. Concerns over Hope Scholarship students being allowed to play local public school sports sparked House debate today. Randy Yowie has that story. House Bill 2820 would allow participants in the Hope Scholarship Program, microschools and learning pods, access to public school athletics, as long as the same sport is not available in their private school. The bill says Hope Scholarship students would abide by the same West Virginia Secondary School Activities Commission rules and regulations as their public school counterparts. Delegate Sean Hornbuckle, a Democrat from Cabell County, spoke against the bill, calling it premature. testimony, we found out through the WVSSAC director, Bernie Dolan, uh, that this will cause an unnecessary hardship in determining eligibility for players across our state. More importantly, if a child is in private school and they are not a HOPE scholarship participant, the same rules do not apply. And so now brings into the question of constitutionality, creating unequal treatment. The bill's sponsor, Delegate Kathy Hess Krause, a Republican out of Putnam County, disagreed, saying the bill simply offers fair and financially equitable opportunities for kids to play sports. HOPE scholarship, micro schools and learning pods cannot currently play because they are not included in the current law. This is adding them in. Let's see, uh, public schools continue to get funding. They get all county funding and federal funding. So any school levies, excess levies still go to the school system. The Hope Sports Bill passed the House 73 to 23 and goes to the Senate for consideration. For the legislature today, I'm Randy Yowie. Substance abuse disorder, sober living homes, homelessness, mental health treatment, the challenges facing West Virginia to help people regain sobriety and live a good life continue to mount. Randy Yowie joins us with two delegates, Democrat Mike Pushkin of Kanawha County and Republican Scott Heckert from Wood County to discuss what's working and what still needs to be done. Thanks so much, Bob. So with me is Delegate Mike Pushkin from right here in Charleston, Delegate Scott Heckert from Parkersburg and Wood County. Gentlemen, thanks for being here today. I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, our topics, substance use disorder, sober living homes, homelessness, and mental health treatment. Let's start with substance use disorder. I used to say that every third family had to deal with this maybe about 10 years ago. And then five years ago, it was every second family. And I think now it's almost every family, some extended way, has to deal with this. Uh, Scott, how do you think about that? Well, unfortunately, it's a, it's a fact that the, it's a real problem um, and I, the, the cure is is getting them the help they need when they need it in long term 28 day programs is not working it's just not it's it's a it's just something that needs to be done in the longer term it's a lifelong goal whether they want the help or they don't want the help 
Colgan Pushkin. That's something that you're going to find uh, Scott and I agree on. Um, I do think that uh, we need more options. Uh, and I think the 28-day, I mean, nobody, uh, no uh, medical professional came up with 28 days. Unfortunately, insurance companies came up with 28 days. That's what they were going to pay for. But now, you know, we're hearing the best practices is, is longer-term uh, treatment. And uh, I think people recover in different ways. Some people uh, just a safe place to live while they go to meetings. Other people might need a stricter program and a longer term program. Um, thing is, you know, our state, it's no secret that West Virginia was really ground zero uh, for this uh, drug epidemic in, in the country. And, uh, you know, we, are, we need a lot of help and we're, we're not out of this yet, not even close. In fact, the drug problem is probably worse than it's ever, ha ever has been. And we need, uh, uh, we need to make sure that we have places for people to get better, safe places for, to for them to live while they get better. But we also want to make sure that these are quality facilities uh, that are working well with the community. What, that's why we're seeing yeah. a laundry list of yeah. bills this year. And there's a lot of debate about them. There's a lot of, seems like, serious care and concern. Um, let's look to the sunny side first. Uh, Delegate Heckert, what are some of the state initiatives that you're seeing that are working right now? Well, both from both sides of the aisle, we're trying to work out things to make it better for the people in recovery. Um, but there, and they need to be at least 128 days at a minimum. And there needs to be treatment for not just the addiction they have. Because when a, when a person is an addict, and I know firsthand because my son is one, you, they need to be fixed on different things. Mental health, back being turned back into society because the drugs have their brains for lack of a better term, short-circuited. And it takes a year after they get off of whatever they're on to get the, their brain to start functioning back on a normal way. What we call normal, their life as an addict, they think that's normal. And it's gonna take all of us working together, Republicans, Democrats, just as a whole working together. We're not always gonna get our way. Everybody's passionate. In a different about a different part of it, but it comes down to the simple fact is we've got to help West Virginians first get cleaned up and, and start in their life a productive life where they can live out their life. An, an addict is an addict from day that they start the addiction till they die. It's it's just something that has to be worked on, and a 28-day program cleans their system out, but it doesn't fix them. Delegate Pushkin, he might have said two magic words in their mental health because how many people, and I know you're close to this, yeah. have an addiction problem, a substance use disorder problem, excuse me, but also have a mental health situation? You know, I don't know the statistics. You have people who have co-occurring uh, ailments, uh, and then you have people who just suffer from the disease of addiction, which is also a, a mental health yes. issue. I think we, um, it, I'll tell you, I mean, it's really what has, uh, in, uh, what inspired me to put my name on the ballot to begin with. I don't, you know, talk about this, you know, too much, I think, but I'm also, I'm, I'm in, in long-term recovery, uh, over 18 years, uh, you know, clean. And that's really what influences not just my decisions up here, it's what's influenced my entire life, it's what's given me a life. So that's, you know, I, I feel that I have a, a unique perspective uh, on this. We, look, we want to uh, make sure that people have safe facilities, that the facilities are, are, are following certain standards, 
Uh, we also have to be respectful of the community. I think when the facilities are working well, it's actually a benefit to the community. Because uh, what you're going to have are people, if, if it's working well, you're going to, the, the product will be, uh, uh, you know, uh, responsible members of society who are off drugs, ready to get to work. You know, a lot of times when we have events here in this area, the first people who step up to volunteer are folks that are living at Recovery Point. They volunteer for everything. It's, uh, I think it could be a real asset to the community when done well. We have to be careful that, that, that all of the facilities are up to certain standards. That's why we created or recognized the West Virginia Alliance of Recovery Residences. When you're talking about recovery homes, not treatment beds, but recovery homes, it's very hard to regulate because there's federal housing laws uh, that, um, that go into place so you can't, it, it's not a forced uh, license, but a voluntary certificate. However, if they don't get certified and they don't get funds and they, and they don't get referrals, but you have to enforce that. I think people are you surprised that, that, that some of these smaller sober living homes are not regulated by the government. People, I think, are, would figure, of course they would be, but it, that's not necessarily the case. Let's talk about a couple of specific bills that, that you fellows are sponsoring. First of all, uh, Delegate Heckard, you got House Bill 3337, prohibiting additional drug and alcohol treatment facilities and services in a certain county. In layman's terms, what's that mean? Well, what that means is when this program started back in 19, 2018-19, they opened it up for Wood County to ex have whatever beds they wanted because at the time it was thought that recovery, trying to get people recovery, the more beds you had, the more place, things you had, the more services you had, the better they'd be. Well, that's not really how it turned out. Um, we have 26% of the beds in the state with 4% of the population. We got to clean up West Virginia, but unfortunately under the program, the way that this one was set up in Wood County, they just took everybody that would come from anywhere. This is, this is not going to heed anybody from having up to 250 beds and it's not going to stop there's a couple projects in Cabell County I believe so we didn't interfere with them this is just saying that you can have up to 250 beds and then you have to go through a process does that sound fair enough for limiting no, to I, a particular area I don't like the idea of limiting it because I think it should be based on the need unfortunately because of something that happened up here years ago uh, a mistake that was made in an amendment by uh, one of delegate Heckard's predecessors from Wood County they have a disproportionate amount of beds that's true it should be based on the need I believe that they have more than what's needed in a small county other counties might need more I, I'm, I was uncomfortable putting a limit on the amount of help we're going to give people those beds are people that, that need help at any given time. Uh, I do think it's important that we have quality facilities. And also, uh, uh, Delegate Heckert brought up when they bring when people are coming in from out of state. Look, I think anybody should be able to get help no matter where they're from. However, when you have a third party that is making money off of filling up beds or filling up recovery homes or off of billing Medicaid, really, when they're making when a third party is making money off of it, that's already illegal. And the problem is there has been no enforcement of that. Now, Attorney General Morrissey fought very hard to get the Medicaid fraud unit in his office. We haven't heard much about that. But what now that patient brokering is a form of Medicaid fraud. And I think that everybody 
everybody's on the same page with patient brokering. Yeah, absolutely. And we have a yeah. bill that elevated the, uh, put it under the office of the uh, Office of Inspector General to enforce that because the Medicaid fraud unit has so far has not been, from what, from what I understand. But it needs to be enforced. The laws are on the books. We can clean it up if we enforce the laws. Doug, pushing. Let's talk a little bit about when somebody needs to leave and, and they've finished a program, the transport. Yeah. I, I know that you talked about that yesterday. You have a bill that, that helps people make sure that they're going to get transported from point A to point B to back to their home, mm -hmm. no matter where that home is. Explain that one. Well, that wasn't my bill, but I think that uh, Delegate Hecker and I are both probably experts in transportation <laughs> since I drove a cab and he had a cab company. But we already do that. Uh, Medicaid uh, uh, contracts with a company called Motocare, we already provide medical transportation. Uh, I didn't think that that bill was really necessary. And uh, that was mainly based on, on sending people back out of state. However, in most places, the percentage of people that are from out of state in most of these facilities, maybe not in Wood County, but in the rest of the, of the state, it's a very, very small percentage of people that, that I've you know, run into from the, in these facilities that are from out of state. Usually, if they are from out of state, from, from my experience, it's because they have a relative here or they're here for another reason. What's the most important bill that you have on this subject that you want to talk about? Um, I think the, the Patient Brokering Act that already passed the House, that really puts some enforcement uh, into an, uh, something that's already been on the books. Uh, uh, the problem you have, when you have, uh, the money is not in housing. When you have a, a recovery home that is not meeting the standards, um, it's not, the money's not in charging them uh, the program fee and filling up a, uh, a rental property. The money's in the Medicaid billing. So most likely, if you have a bad house, they would be working with a behavioral health entity that is billing Medicaid. That's what we need to look into, and that's what we need to enforce. And Delegate Pushkin, I agree on that. Yeah. that that's, for, for lack of better terminology, that is ground zero. Because you have these sober living places popping up, and they're doing this and doing that. And even with the beds and the treatment centers, there has to be some enforcement to weed out the bad ones. Because the better quality we get, the better product we're going to get. I mean, and we agree on that. Yeah. And that product is a productive, responsible member yep. of society. Yep. It's a human being. It's a functional part. Somebody's son, somebody's daughter. Gain, and, uh, gain sobriety and have a good life. Yeah. I mean, um, House Bill 2545 is interesting. It requires a study on homelessness homelessness be conducted by the Bureau for Behavioral Health. And I, what, what it boils down to from what I'm seeing is that we want to kind of know how many people are homeless, where they are, uh, and what state resources and facilities they're using. Uh, your thoughts on that, Bill? Well, there's a, there, that's a big problem. And until we get a study to show how they're thinking, why they're thinking, why they're there, nobody wants to be homeless. Somebody has got down on their luck They've had either lack of support from family or no family. Some of them, they just need certain things to help them get it back to being productive. And, and I, my feelings are that until we get the study done statewide, that we're not going to be able to fix it. But that's where we start. This study, some Democrats, I think, think is a means to an end, that there's concern that, that maybe these people are using and I'm sorry about these people, maybe these people that are down in their luck are using state facilities and state resources 
more than they should, are more in a certain place than they should? I believe the bill passed unanimously. Democrats voted for it, Republicans okay. voted for it. I don't think there's anything wrong with doing a study, but I do think what they're going to find is, is the root cause of homelessness. In a lot of cases, it's, it's a mental health issues or it's substance abuse issues. What I don't think is uh, what we're going to find is that the symptom is the, is the blame for the cause. Uh, you have to have resources in order to help people when they're down on luck. I don't think that's what causes the problem, but we'll see if the study is done and the study is done accurately. We've got a couple minutes left. What it sounds like is that there's a lot of agreement from both parties on what we need to do. Are we going to get some things passed that you think are going to be concrete enough to really help solve the problem? The sooner, you know, Delegate Pushkin and I have been friends a long time. We ain't always agreed all the time, but we've always been able to talk to each other. He's heard my side, I've heard his side. Until we put the D and the R thing aside, we have a problem in West Virginia. We both have the same common goal as do the Democrats and the Republicans. Mm-hmm. But we gotta work together to fix the problem. This is not a one-man band show. Yeah. What, Look, what the disease of addiction doesn't discriminate. It affects Republican families. It affects Democratic, it's affected both of us. Um, so it's something that really should, it truly should be bipartisan. Uh, my aim is just to make sure that when we are uh, weeding out the bad actors in this and regulating this industry and making sure we meet certain standards, that we're not doing anything that affects the good facilities and we're not doing anything that, that prevents people from getting help when they need it. Substance use disorder, sober living homes, homelessness, we talked about mental health. It's a wide ranging subject matter and everybody's affected differently. There's no one kind of substance use disorder problem. Gentlemen, I want to thank you for being here. I appreciate both of the work you're doing. I'm glad that both of you are good friends yeah. and, 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 and keep up the good work as well. Thank you for having us. My pleasure. Bob, I'll send it back to you. Thanks for that, Randy. Tune in to the legislature today, Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. We'll have more news and interviews from the 2023 legislative session. And remember, West Virginia Public Broadcasting is covering the session daily in our radio news program, West Virginia Morning, and on our news site at wvpublic.org. We also broadcast the daily floor sessions of both the House and Senate on the West Virginia channel, and we stream those on YouTube as well. I'm Bob Runner. Thanks for joining us. Have a good evening. Support for the legislature today is provided by West Virginia University, building futures close to home at campuses in Morgantown, Kaiser, and Beckley. Information at wvu.edu. Embassy Suites by Hilton Charleston, an all-suite hotel and conference center minutes from Yeager Airport and Capital Market. Reservations and brasserie dining information available at hilton.com. Segra, providing fiber-based communication solutions. Segra, freedom to grow. More information at segra.com.